2: Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. Well, my co-host, Larry Dershman, and I are delighted tonight to welcome back a very good friend of the show and a very good friend of ours. Uh, Larry, who are we lucky enough to have in studio with us today?
3: Sure, Wendy. Duran Reese has been married for 31 years. She has three children and two grandchildren. She obtained her four-year scholarship to USC in business marketing and In her earlier years, was a product inventor that launched the company Ready America that we're going to be talking about in a minute here. Her signature product, Quakehold, was considered one of the top 100 products of the millennium, according to the Los Angeles Times. Dran was also featured in the book Woman Invent among one of many stories written on her past entrepreneurial success. She is a frequent speaker on emergency preparedness and what corporations or individuals can do in advance of a natural or man-made disaster. Welcome back to the program, Jan. So good to have you.
4: Oh, Thank you so much, Larry, and thank you, Dr. Wendy. I'm so happy to be here. Jan, it's so good to have you back on the
2: program. Before we start talking about disaster preparedness today, Um, We always are curious as to how how did this idea come about? I mean, you're always involved in so many different things. Tell us a little bit about what was the impetus for this one.
4: Well, this was a long time ago uh, when we started the company Ready America, or actually I started the company. Um, I I used to keep thinking of ideas that um, would you know, that I could start a business with. And we had the 1987 uh, Northridge, no, not the Northridge, 1987 Whittier earthquake. I was in my house. I sprinted to the living room. I put my hand upon the uh, mantelpiece to hold onto a doctor's doll because it was about to fall. After the earthquake was over, I thought, well, that was dumb. (laughs) I'm trying to save this. What about my life? And that started an idea. Why can't I just stick something underneath the bottom of this to make it secure? And that, many years later, in 1991, I believe, is when it was actually developed, was a signature product, Quakehold, which is the product that wound up between the Apple computer and the Singer Singer sewing machine as the top 100 products of the millennium. And that launched all of our products, and now we are... Uh, worldwide. Uh, we're one of the signature organizations it, that manufacture and, uh, and produce products for emergency preparedness, including installation.
3: Wow. Adrienne, I know here in Southern California, other than having an occasional wildfire or mild earthquake, most of us feel pretty safe. So why do you think our listeners need to be prepared for disasters here in this beautiful state where we live?
4: Well, I don't think people feel as safe as you think they do, especially right now because there's so many kind of terrorist attacks and we're confused as to what about the electrical grids, anything can happen situation. And then, of course, the insecurity with our government right now makes us all feel ill at ease as far as are they after America to take it over. So in many respects, people are questioning whether they really are secure and can trust our own government to maintain our grids, to maintain our water supply, uh, and other things that are so essential for living. So I think this is the reason why a lot of people are questioning that and starting to take preemptive actions to be prepared. Duran, I am fascinated
2: by the preemptive actions to be prepared. Um, You know, it's one of those things that I know many people that are already well into Uh, restocking the deep pantries they compiled (laughs) pre-pandemic turned out they were on the cutting edge of something that everybody needed to do so to hear is there a place that people can go um, to get some tips on what they should be doing or maybe you have like a list of top three things that people should be thinking about doing just in case
4: well, I would say we're about as good as it gets in, in this area, and I'd like to show you, this is a little booklet, if you could see that, that I just produced, actually a very simple little guide, not much to read. And inside it has some uh, amazing uh, things that will help every one of your uh, listeners. Uh, foods, uh, Food Center, what I call a safety center checklist, this is really important, is developing a safety center inside of your home where you're going to keep all of the things that matter for disasters, such as first aid, food and water, uh, tools, uh, things like that, that are going to lighting, uh, communications, all the stuff that you will need in a disaster. So the safety center checklist puts that all together. So our company ReadyAmerica.com uh, will have this where you can download it your, yourself. Actually, that's the front of it. If you can see that <laughs> you can download it page by page, but if you want a booklet, I'm allowing, letting your listening audience have my email address and uh, I'll work on getting one sent to them. Um, if you could just send me the postage, that would be very helpful. Uh, it's Dran at ReadyAmerica.com, But The essentials are foods you know that will last forever, and we give you a list of those, what to barter in case just everything is gone, you know, it's, you know, we have to restart collapse of society, Uh, camping supplies, and then how to store meats. So these are some tips, but again, the safety center is the first step. And for all your listeners out there to think about where they live Mm -hmm. and what their access is, to food for the long term and water. And if you're living in an apartment or a cookie cutter house next to each other, you know, it says, Woe to you who build house to house, field to field, and leave nothing left. There's a reason why that's going to be a huge problem when everybody's taking a run on the, your local supermarkets. Well, we have cool. food supply shortage. So we've got some issues and we really need to think about it. I'd be happy to spend time with any of your listeners if they email me at DRAN at uh, readyamerica.com, D-R-A-N, and what I can do is do a consultation call with them.
3: Oh, that's great. Joanne, for those who are not watching us on the internet, what is the name of that book that you held up that we can see for the people that are listening by radio?
4: Sure. Well, right now I call it Ready America Presents Survival Basics, a good place to start, but I took this to an event and everyone was uh, uh, snapped up. And as a reprint, it's going to be called emergency preparedness because a few people in our company want to lend their uh, decision to the title. And so I'm going to go with that emergency preparedness.
3: That's great. And we have a, a, a number of other questions for you. But before we run out of time, we still have time. But what's the web address for your corporation? Are you so people can go there?
4: Sure, readyamerica.com. Your listeners will get a percent discount on anything they buy.
3: Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's, that's
4: so great. You're, you're always such a great friend of the show.
2: Um, Dran, you go ahead, Larry. Did you want to continue?
3: Well, I just wanted... That the, you see these food supplies uh, advertised like the last 25 years. Do you recommend that or can you get that type of food at your, uh, cor- in your corporation, or at your website?
4: Yes, you can get that food from us. But I also tell your listeners you don't have to be about storing for 25 years and then having to think you're gonna to have to shut down my suggestion is is that you you follow the booklet because I give you some real tools for you know uh, you know a three-day survival a, you know a, a three-month survival a year survival in reality what we're looking at is a total collapse of society if you're going to be digging into that 25 year it's bad news bears but what we want to think about is how do we just have decent food for let 's say three years well you know i 'm a fan of canned goods i 'm a huge fan. You can get all your food groups, your legumes, your meats, your proteins, and frankly what they last for three years, so why not stack up on a lot of that? Think what you need, get good food that you 're really going to enjoy eating in a disaster and get you know think about all the other things that you can do in your area if you can start you know building or creating food. Remember the food supply might not be there to support you but you can eat some pretty tasty food for a few years before you have to dig into that 25 year.
2: (laughs) You know, Jan, that's where I was going to go with this. I mean, you know, we all know about olive oil and wine and other things that, you know, uh, stay for long periods of time. I think if it's 25 years that we've stored something we're now eating, we're in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome (laughs) territory. (laughs) I hope that's not true. Um, but you kind of asked the question I was going to answer, you kind of answer the question I was going to ask about, you know, people think about food storage and they think about dry crackers that have been sitting on a shelf for 30 years. Actually, what we're really talking about here is being able to prepare um, gourmet meals, you know, quote unquote, that just so happen to have been tossed together, you know, by something that you already have in storage. Um, but I think you've kind of already answered that. Dren, uh, I think we were almost at the end of the show, but how else would you sort of wrap it up, um, tie it up with a bow here regarding why this is important to be thinking about this now while we still can drive down to Walmart and see food on the shelf?
4: Right. You need to start now. Start incrementally. You know, when you go to the food store, get a few extra cans of beans or rice or whatever. But I would suggest that you get a big bag of beans and a big bag of rice and a big bag of salt. Because salt will come in very handy if you have to preserve meat. So if your freezer goes out. Uh, you can preserve your meat, but also get a generator. So there's a, a few things that are steps before you know you get to a food uh, supply insecurity. So you want to have all those things in store. And I know it's too much to talk about really in our short period of time. But again, I'm going to tell any of your listeners, I'm happy to speak with anybody one on one. My name is Dran Reese. You can email me at Dran, D-R-A-N, at com. I'd be happy to talk to anyone and watch. Thank through. you, Dran. That was perfect. We're at the very end
2: of the show. Thank you so much, Dran. Um, but for our listeners, we have a second half coming up, so don't touch that dial. We will be back in the flash. We'll be back today with Dr. you
1: news cycle lowlights have no place here you're listening to the headline highlights on today with dr wendy on the answer san diego it's time for more news you can use the headlines streamline it's time for more today with dr wendy now here's your host dr wendy patrick welcome back
2: to today with dr wendy well, we are talking about Alex Jones this week. We've been talking about Alex Jones for some time, but it was finally just recently that we've had the, the testimony that we had last week about the defamation trial and compensatory damages, punitive damages. You know, instead of getting into the weeds legally, Larry, what I thought we would address tonight is the reality that speech is free. But falsehoods are expensive and they can cost millions of dollars if they're proven. And one of the reasons that Alex Jones has captured the headlines yet again this week is it is true that he was disgraced and deplatformed from social media sites like Twitter, Google, Facebook, YouTube, but still maintained quite a following, which led, of course, to the defamation damages portion of the trial this week that really had to do with the parents of one of the slain children from the Sandy Hook massacre, who were basically getting, according to them, death threats and and subject, subjected to severe harassment as a result of the conspiracy theories that were being uh, furthered by Alex Jones. You know, one of the takeaways, I suppose, from this trial is that it isn't true that you can literally go on and say anything anymore or was it ever true and and how do you think this trial is is legally significant for people like Alex Jones that do have sensational shows
3: it was quite the interesting trial it was I understand, held down in Austin, Texas, and that must be where the Info uh, Wars is based because we're talking about the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre that happened in, uh, wasn't it, Connecticut? And um, so anyhow, the the parents, yeah, what was interesting about this is it was a uh, compensatory damages of $4 million were awarded, but it's my understanding, Wendy, that, he di- they didn't really get into the first amendment issues it's like he didn't even put on a full defense and that's what i don't understand is that what you understand about that case you
2: know what's interesting larry is um obviously to prove defamation you need you know false statements and causation uh, and you also need damages and so we heard about the theory of the the harm that was suffered by the parents um but it's interesting that that wasn't the contested part that was summary you know that was summarily decided Previous to this week where they're just talking about damages. So we didn't really relitigate any of that phase this week. This week was about damages. This week, I suppose, one of the um, most telling moments in court. Well, I shouldn't have prefaced it that way because I just thought of three more. The one thing was the perjury, right? Do you Remember the Perry Mason moment about the, well, you know, uh, the inadvertent release of two years worth of text messages that mentioned Sandy Hook. But what I was really thinking about was Alex Jones on Wednesday, on Wednesday actually said, I, be, I don't believe it was a hoax. I think it all happened. Yes. Um, that was very significant. And you, know, you wonder whether or not that at least provided some measure of closure for the parents. I can't imagine. You lose a child. I don't know that you ever received closure of any kind. And I also don't know that it was what they say in, in the news media as a full-throated apology. But be, be that as it may, that was a big moment this week.
3: It was. And it was interesting. Back on Tuesday, uh, it, after the hearing, Jones approached the of Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, the parents of the six-year-old Jesse Lewis, who was slain in Sandy Hook. And he offered to shake their hands and so forth. But one of the, um, the attorneys for Heslin came over and said... Uh, that's not the way this goes and basically broke it up. He was trying to apologize apparently, but I don't know if that would be enough to apologize for after putting out that information for that long period of time.
2: Well, you know, Larry, the reason your question is such a good one is remember that the uh, behavior of Alex Jones that was brought up by the judge, as well as by the plaintiff's attorney during the course of this trial was recent. I mean, he was talking on his show about this court case and this judge and he was trying to explain it when he testified. By the way, he was the only witness to testify on, uh, on his own behalf. Um, but remember, this week was about the plaintiffs saying, show me the money. Uh, whatever you believe about Sandy Hook now, after all of this time, uh, this now is about damages. Um, and, and, but you do bring up a very good point. You know, those of us that have litigated in court for so many years recognize the human element of litigation, especially when you have grieving parents, when you have plaintiffs that have been damaged, who have suffered harm, and and what if anything a defendant can do to bridge that gap? Um, it sounds like there was a, a bit of approach behavior in court, but I think most people that have been following the trial and know something about the uh, about what went on with Alex Jones and Infowars probably figure, and I'm going to say the understatement of the evening, he needs to do a lot more than that.
3: Exactly, and I think the parents were originally asking for 150 million in compens- uh, compensation for defamation and intentional infliction of emotional stress, uh, distress. And Jones said that any award over two million dollars would sink us. I guess talking about his company, Infowars. But this was a judgment for four million, which is way over two million. So it'll but be interesting. Then we
2: moved into the punitive damages phase, and so yeah. we'll see what happens here.
3: Oh my goodness, I know it. And it was interesting, also, Wendy. I understand. That uh, When they were building the jury pool, there was a number of prospective jurors that they had a difficult time selecting jurors because a lot of the people, the prospective jurors said, you know, I believe in free speech. So they had to dismiss a lot of the prospective jurors, I believe, um, in, in this case. Uh, so there's so many interesting aspects. And then the judge, Maya Guerrera Gamble, was really tough on him. She didn't allow any uh for lack of a better word, funny business in that courtroom. She really held everybody into account. And Alex Jones is is famous for just lashing out and, and talking, but he, he was uh, well-behaved in that courtroom. That's my reading of it.
2: You know, he was, Larry. You know, Alex Jones always jumps mouth first into yeah. controversy, and it's landed him in nothing but hot water. Um, the, the Sandy Hook slaughter incident and his discussion of this really probably has been uh, the worst of the worst in terms of what's really been uh, on the what, what's really put them on the hot seat in this current litigation. I mean, we'll see how it it ultimately, le- uh, you know, shakes out. Um, I'm actually surprised that it took as long as it did. But you and I know the wheels of justice turn slowly yes. uh, and everybody just has to be uh, has to be patient to see how all of this um, shakes out. Um, But Larry, you always have something else on your heart near the end of the show.
3: Right. Yeah, I wanted to call this uh, segment. This is more of a commentary. Uh, Beware of the big lie. Uh, When I was in the eighth grade, my history teacher taught us. About how totalitarian regimes used the big lie to seduce the people of their country. For example, it was used by the German Nazis to convince the German people that they were part of the Aryan race with their blue eyes and blonde hair. They were superior to other races. And that conditioned the people to accept the horrible atrocities uh, that the Nazis perpetrated against the Jews and and many other groups too. The big lie is an expression coined by none other than Adolf Hitler. In his book, Mein Kampf, which was written in 1925, to describe the use of a lie so colossal that no one would believe that someone could have the impotence... Uh, to distort the truth so uh, infamously. He believed that when the canard is repeated enough times, most people will accept it without question, even though it is totally false, without foundation, and demonstrably untrue. Now I want to jump, and this is the controversial part of my commentary. All that was totally true, what I just said, but climate change and the Green New Deal, I believe, in my opinion, uh, is the possibly the next big lie and we can all remember back in the 70s at least some of us can we were told i think this was like a cover of time magazine that there's a worldwide global cooling that we were looking at the next ice age then a few decades decades later they talked about how man-made pollutants is causing global warming and i think that was disproved now i know man-made pollutants do Cause smog, but as far as the giant, you know, the globe warming up, uh, that's very much in dispute. So they kind of that was kind of disproven. So now they're just going with man-made climate change, and they're just saying, you know, we gotta drive electric cars. And I, I like electric cars because if we don't, you know, the the waters are gonna rise and. But you notice these people that are pushing these scenarios are buying beachfront homes, so they don't seem to be really looking at it. But let me give, I'm going back to reality now. Sri Lanka is a case study of a man-made famine. Now, Sri Lanka is a tiny East uh, Asia uh, island that has a total population of a 21 million. A million people, they were advised by the Rockefeller Foundation and the president of Sri Lanka went along with it to totally ban synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. Now, this is covering the whole globe what I'm talking about. So this is very important to what we're studying. So anyhow, the Western Green Revolutionists were so pleased that they bestowed Sri Lanka with a near-perfect environmental, social, and governance score. That's the ESG score. We've talked about that. They gave Sri Lanka a ESG score of 98, much higher than the United States score of only 51. But Sri Lanka's adoption of the green policies brought nothing but disasters. The rice production went way, way down. They had to import it. The country defaulted on its, death, uh, on its debt. And the Sri Lankan people, they were angry and hungry. They staged protests and stormed both the president's residence and the prime minister's office. And President Rajapaksa. Uh, Paksa resigned and he fled the country on July 13th. That was just a couple of weeks ago of this year in a military jet. So Sri Lanka is the tip of the iceberg of how the green policies promoted by Western liberals, especially the World Economic Forum, are going to bring misery, and uh, it's going to cause worldwide famine. And it's totally man-made, and we need a better solution. So Sri Lanka is like the canary in the coal mine. That's what happens when you go totally green and you don't plan it correctly.
2: You know what? I'm I'm going to bring us um, up into the silver lining of this edition by lightening the mood a little bit and saying, as we think about what canned goods we may want to be stockpiling, Larry, given that your favorite food is pizza, I want to see if you can find pizza in a can. So I know our, our listeners are fascinated, they want to know too. Tell me next week. Join us
4: next week for more free Have a wonderful weekend. God bless you.